This is the taste. This is the test. Pepsi versus Coke. The Pepsi Challenge. Pepsi. And all across America, more people pick Pepsi. Pepsi. Time Pepsi. after time after time. Pepsi Cola. Oh, what a time. It's gonna be Pepsi now. The winning taste is Pepsi. It's gonna be, gonna be, gonna be Pepsi now. Taste what Pepsi's giving. It's gonna be, gonna be, gonna be Pepsi now. do you compare? Are you feeling like you're behind? Do you feel like your boss just doesn't know how to innovate? Your technology is way worse than others in your industry. Your budget is below average. Are you lagging behind the competition, your colleagues, the other department, or that guy? You know the one, Todd McTodderson and corporate communications who seems to be magically blessed to get every break, have every project go his way, get every promotion. Yeah, we hate Todd. Do you feel like you just don't compare to others? Well, you might be right. You might be wrong. But one thing's for certain. You're not alone. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. At whatever level of success, you will compare yourself to others. We learn it at a very early age. As little kids, we didn't care, of course. We were just ourselves, running around, putting out our carpet square, wearing our crazy outfits. We just were. And the other kids just were, too. And that was wonderful. But then we were told that you were better or worse, and you were behaved better or worse than your brother. Your teacher kept a chart with who got all the gold stars. There's Todd McTodderson again. Or that you should be more like your sister. Or the classic, why can't you be like that kid on TV? So we start comparing ourselves. Now, psychologists will tell you that there are two types of comparisons, downward and upward. Downward comparisons is when we compare ourselves to someone that we see as worse off than ourselves. Upward comparison is when we compare ourselves to someone we see as better off than we are. So downward is when we say, thank God I'm not like those other people. And upward, we say, why can't I be more like Todd? But there's another one, and this one is just so common for us in business, which is when we compare ourselves to those who are just like us, or who we think are just like us. And here's where that juicy rationalization to justify some opinion we have formed or some action we have taken or want to take happens. This one's particularly insidious because it's where we fall into the middle of the road, the mediocrity, or worse, the groupthink. Well, they're doing it, so I'll do it too. Here's something interesting for you. Whenever you find yourself looking to take an action or take on a new project or make a decision and you hear yourself or someone else comparing themselves, note why they are doing it. See, downward comparers are typically looking for the easiest path rather than the right path. So we might shake ourselves out and say, is this the right path? Upward comparers are typically trying to solve a problem that they don't have yet. So we should ask ourselves if we're actually answering the right question. And sideways comparers are almost always looking to justify a decision. And we should ask then, are we biased? Are we just looking for a rationalization? Or is this truly evidence to support our decision? Now, of course, it's usually not so cut and dry. There's usually both upward and downward and sideways comparisons on our team. But at least you can start to use this as a guide to your decision making. 
One other thing, know that in most cases when we compare ourselves to others, we're worried not about us, but about what others think of us. In other words, our frequent comparison is based on the assumption that others will make it too. Yeah, it's a comparison as well. So whether it's up or down or sideways, just know that we are the ones inventing it. In other words, we mostly don't know the real situation and it's rare that it's actually that specific. In other words, it's exceedingly rare that it's actually Todd McTodderson and when it is, we don't really know what Todd's real situation is anyway. Our comparisons are almost always this mythical other thing that we invent. The others. Fictional. They exist in our perception only. And as Eleanor Roosevelt so wonderfully said, you wouldn't worry so much about what others think of you if you realized how seldom they actually do. And that's the theme of our show today. How do you compare? Up or down or a little sideways? And now it's time for me to start our little show with the guy that I've always wanted to be like. I wish I could be like some of those other podcast hosts and get to the point faster, but at least I'm not like some of the others, you know those guys, who never get there. But hey, everybody's doing it, right? So you ready not to care what anybody thinks? Well then, let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 206 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, October 23rd, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co host, my colleague, my friend, and you know, the guy that I really want to be most like, Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? <laughs> that is totally not true. It is all. true. No, no, no. I no, compare no. myself to you. All my comparisons are to you. I've told you that I wish I had your <laughs> musical talent. That's really all uh, I want. That's I, all you want. Yeah, that's all I got. I want your it. mad producing uh, <laughs> skills. <laughs> is what I really want. A lot of people yeah. don't know that you have a whole second career on SoundCloud. Like you're, you know, selling all these musical. No, bits and no, there's and... no. Don't start spreading fake news. It's it's there's there's there is something on SoundCloud, but I make like twenty two dollars a year on it. Like it's you know it's it's not much. It's and and by the way, it's all for stuff I did ten years ago. So what you know, the, that's amazing that you did this stuff ten years ago and you still make twenty bucks a year. It, it's that's, it's funny <laughs> because I get these checks from BMI that are like you know four dollars and sixty eight cents, and then you look and see where it ran, and it was so. For those of you who care about this at all, um, I did some soundtrack music for, and it ended up getting picked up by of all places, um, MTV. On uh, on their uh, Pimp My Ride was one show. 
Um, what's the show with the oh the Jersey Shore was one, and then another show that's on VH1 that I'd never heard of before called Basketball Wives. Have you ever heard of this show? Oh, I've heard Basketball of it before. Wives. I've never watched yeah, it. I've, yeah, I've never have either. Um, but I hear so the music is my, great. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There it is. Hey, the music is great. Do you have that on your LinkedIn profile or something? You absolutely. I do not. You should. I do not. I do not. Oh man, you are a yeah. true Renaissance man. See, people, I do not. You, well, a lot of people to... don't know that the the theme song for our podcast is is an original of Robert Rose is. piece of music. That's the one. What happened when we were looking for something? You sent me a couple samples. Yeah, I, I sent you the SoundCloud yeah, said, account the and basically said pick whichever one you think yeah. is the most appropriate, and you picked that one. And right? I said, that's that's the one, and and that's <laughs> been the one from day one that we've always had. It is. It is exactly it's right. That good it because I knew that it was also. On Jersey Shore, and I was like, (laughs) (laughs) "It it was not. There was there are other ones that were on Jersey Shore, yeah." And the funny thing is, is that my favorite part of that is that I guess the episode was called Jim Tan Laundry GTL. And so on my little statement, my accounting statement, it says, you know, $4.68 for the Asia market for GTL, which I think is just funny. <laughs> I, I really think you should lean into that more. You should do a Sheryl Sandberg and really lean into that. The Jim Tan Laundry or the, no, or the, the music? The, the whole the, music <laughs> thing. I mean, there's not a lot of marketing strategists out there that, that can bring that kind of game. There are actually a lot more musicians out there than one would be led to believe. There's a lot of musicians out there in marketing. I mean, it's amazing how many musicians there are in in our business. Um, you know that that are now, and to be clear, that are real players that are actually know how to play. That like are really I, good I, professional have played yeah, gigs, have recorded. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty good on the computer these days, but I'm I, I'm not what they would call a player when it comes to to, to true musician. Yeah, I've lost my chops there. Uh, you, but you, I thought you thought one. One time you were going to sort of bring that into one of your speeches where you would like you'd have the keyboard there. I was. And- I was because I because the thing I can do is I can improvise pretty well. Like I can sit at a piano and play for hours and, you know, and just noodle, um, as you've heard me do in your house. Oh, yeah. Actually. Absolutely. Um, and so, um, yeah, I can just sit and noodle on jazz and blues and stuff like that for, for hours. And so I was going to do that. I was going to do like the, uh, you know, the, the Hollywood lounge you know, hotel lounge singer guy and do that, do a, do a keynote like that, which I thought would be funny and entertaining. I've but, seen some, you know, getting them to stick a piano on stage is not, is not the easiest thing to do. Well, that's, but I've seen some, and I, and I can't remember the one guy I saw, I'll think of it later. I saw him on Netflix special, but I, his, his comedy act and he is oh, in, introducing you're thinking of Bo Burnham, Bo Burnham, Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham. He's awesome. I think what he's he does, so great. what he does, because he's not just a comedian. He's, he's, he's just yeah. an entertainer, if you will. And he's sort of funny as well. But the fact that he brings in and he, he does his songs and then comes out and does sort of a stage act as well. It's, it's oh, he's hysterical. Impressive. So oh, anyone's hysterical. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's not PG rated for those of you, no. of you listening. But it's if you want to see like a true entertainer and the work that goes into it, Bo Burnham, it's fantastic. And it's on, Look, so got a couple the thing of YouTube, specials. The thing to YouTube is his country song. When he does the sort of standard country, the Bo Burnham country song, it's hysterical. It's so funny. 
Is that like on YouTube? I'll have to check that one out. Oh yeah, it's definitely on YouTube. Uh, I'll, definitely I'll on check YouTube. Check that out. But it's weird. Well, how do we even get into these opening conversations? I have no idea. It's it so just, it's just, it's just, you know. Yes, we, uh, well, we we have work to do. Yes, so it, we do have work. And speaking of work, we have a sponsor to talk about. We absolutely. Well, first of all, I just want to make sure we mention that we've got our content marketing masterclasses. Eight oh, cities course, right. starting yeah. in what we start in Boston, I think on the sixth. Is that correct, Robert? That is, is correct. The sixth? And then correct. in the eighth, we're in New York and the ninth, we're in DC. And then we've got Seattle and San Francisco and Austin and Atlanta. And I always forget the last city. Is it Denver? Austin. Is Austin. it Austin? I said Austin. Austin, Atlanta. And what's the third one? Chicago. Chicago. So we start you. we start in Chicago that week of the fourth. So that's what we're doing. Eight yeah. of, so if you're around any of those cities, you should come see us. Like really go and, and like make it a day. And yeah. come and see us. We'll noodle on the we piano. We'll be there. Bit. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna bring <laughs> we're gonna have to bring a Yamaha with uh, with Robert here to do his thing. <laughs> go to contentmarketingconf.com, content marketing conf all the information and register and all that good stuff. So there's that out of the way. That's our top of the show. And then, of course, Hrefs is doing this amazing thing. If you're not familiar with Hrefs, powerful SEO tool set, which has amazing tools for content marketers who are looking to grow their traffic from Google. What they're doing is any listener that tweets using the This Old Marketing hashtag now through October 28th. So we're coming to an end, and we'll be having a lot of fun with this. You'll be entered into a drawing to win an annual Ahrefs account, plus a signed copy from Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose on their new amazing best-selling book, Killing Marketing. And one randomly selected participant will be selected each week. And we have two winners already. We've got four winners in total, but two winners already. And uh, we're going to throw a little love out to Caitlin Collins, who's at Caitlin RDN on Twitter. And Jim Connolly, who's at Jim Connolly one. Uh, definitely want the one and not the two or the three. So thanks, Jim, for that. <laughs> uh, but thank you for playing right. along. We appreciate it. Thanks for Ahrefs for doing this. And make sure you find out more about Ahrefs if you want to figure out who's searching for you on Google, what people, what your customers are search- searching for, what your competitors are searching for, uh, why you're getting backlinks to certain articles and why you're not to other ones. I mean, Ahrefs is a great tool, and they've been a great supporter of ours, multiple-time supporter. So we really appreciate all the love uh, that Ahrefs does. So make sure you use this old marketing hashtag, and you could just use it for anything. You could just say, I hate Twitter, this old marketing hashtag, and <laughs> it'll count. It'll count. I think maybe, uh, maybe how about um, Bigly? Bigly. Bigly. Hashtag this old marketing. Bigly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Killing marketing is, is Bigly fantastic. There you go. It's the, it's the best. Like it's nothing but the best. Absolutely. So. so thank you to Hrefs. That's a wonderful, without compare, I would say. Um, and so it is now time for us to start this wonderful show and get to the top of it with our quick hits, which are all the news that we believe that you should be paying attention to, whether or not it has to do with content marketing or not. It just generally has to do with smart, wonderful things that are going on in the world. And so we start, our top of the show story um, is from marketingcharts.com, and a story that really is just about a study that has been done, and it is who are 2017's top brands ranked by loyalty. And the article opens up by saying, Amazon has taken over as this year's brand loyalty leader, displacing last year's leader, Google, for the top spot. That's according to the latest annual loyalty study from BrandKeys, which ranked customer engagement and loyalty for 740 brands across 83 categories. Rounding out the top five were Apple, 
Netflix for video streaming, Apple again for uh, smartphones. What did you What did you think about the the list here? I, I definitely have a take on this, but want to hear what you have to well, say. Well, you know, it's yeah, it's I don't want to steal your thunder, um, but the one thing that I specifically saw was when they went to down to media media that's not Apple and Amazon or whatever. They talked about Fox and MSNBC being the the two new like media players, like. TV news players in this. And right, I thought that right. what was interesting about that is those are the two that have very, uh, what I would call a, a differentiated content tilt. Like they have a very different mission. It's not <laughs> right. like CNN. It's not like, hey, we cover the news. Fox covers it one way and MSNBC covers it a very different way almost on the other side of it. So I thought that that was interesting where it seems like the uh, the leaders on this list have a very distinct offering or a distinct way that they approach customers. And then the one thing that I saw, Samsung um, jumped to the top 10. They were number seven. And the thing that I it's interesting about that is how heavy they've gone into influencer marketing. So when, when Casey Neistat did his keynote at Content Marketing World, I mean, he was an unapologetic lover of Samsung. He got up there and just said, I absolutely love Samsung because they shower him with attention and they've really focused on getting their products right. <laughs> they shower for him. him with sparks and fire, too. Yeah, exactly. But that's a whole different <laughs> exactly. thing. That's a whole different thing. But it's just, it, it's, it's interesting to see how some of these have very different takes. Like Samsung is very particular with influencers and that's worked well for them. And you've got media companies that are very particular missions. And I think those work out. And I think so. My big take from this, and I want to hear yours, but my take, you don't see. Uh, we do everything companies on here as much as you used to. Like you don't see the P and G's dominating this list right. like they used to. You see, <clears throat> you see things, um, you know, at the end of the list where you've got five guys burgers and, you know, they don't sell chicken. They just sell burgers, you know, right. Shake Shack, same thing. They do something really, really well and they don't, they're not all things to all people. So. Absolutely. You know, I think the, the thing that struck me was that that's certainly one. But the, the thing that struck me was, you know, when I look at the the top 10 um, here and really, I mean, if you look all the way through it, even the top 20 or the top 40 um, here, how many of them and I you know, and I know they separate this out by by category, category. for example, yeah. Amazon says online retail and then they've got Apple at third with tablets and then they have Apple again with smartphones. Um, so it basically, I think the, I think you can't separate the category from the brand. In other words, I think when you're asking, hey, what's your, you know, which tablet are you most loyal to? I think there is the all-encompassing when you ask that question, even though you're answering the tablet company, everything gets about that brand gets taken into account, yeah. right? And so what struck me here is is how many of them are media companies now right so even if you look at amazon google apple netflix apple again amazon samsung facebook amazon youtube that basically rounds out your top 10 all media and all media companies except for maybe, like, maybe you can samsung. argue samsung yeah. yeah maybe you can argue samsung but, but the rest every of single them, one of them absolutely. have taken heavy investments in media so it just shows me how much content is working to try and affect the trust and loyalty of of brands. And so 
just looking at this. And because if you look at that, these are all new media companies. These are companies that didn't start out as media companies, but are media companies now. And if you look at the traditional media companies, just to your point, the Foxes, the MSNBCs, there's more traditional media companies, you know, they're down in the 50s. You know, they're yep. down in the 40s, which is fine. They're top 100 of the brands that are trusted and have loyalty and all of that, um, which are great. But they're they're nowhere near the new you know the whether you call it Fang or whatever it is you know Facebook Amazon Netflix and Google and Apple and Apple yeah you know it's it's a it's a it's a time when we start to see the power of having direct access to audiences on loyalty and that's the that's the real key here of what we're talking about so I think that's the important thing for me they're gonna have to update this survey because Amazon is in every category that's right. That's so, exactly I mean, right. Amazon's on the top 10 list for three times for online retail, for video streaming, and for tablets. But That's right. But they're going to be in, and they're getting into literally every industry. So they're going to have to redo this. And Apple's That's the right. same way, and Google's getting the same way. So it's it's interesting how, um, I mean, the more, you know, we obviously talk about it in the book, but Amazon has focused so much on being the number one um, customer, you know, cu- customer service company in the world. They focus more on their customers than anyone else. They say that in in all their paraphernalia, everything, and they are they they don't necessarily focus on first. This is what we have to sell. Mm-hmm. They've, I mean, of course, Jeff Bezos. I mean, this a, he was selling books, right? And he's like, he just focused on okay. Well, here's our customer base, and what are the other things that. What are their other pain points? What are the other things that are interesting to them? What are they doing during the day? And he was just so inquisitive about what their customers were doing. And he saw, oh, my God, there's 187 other categories that we could be selling here. And, of course, now they are. And they they will be. Uh, and I don't know when this is going to happen. Another like, Since we're getting into predictions year, there's another prediction. I think it'll take probably three to four years till Amazon's market cap is larger than Apple's. Yeah. But oh, I think that's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, that's going to happen. I think that, well, we'll see if Apple gets big into the payment thing. I think that could, that could, that could change things. If, if the Apple pay stuff really starts to take off, that could change. And if Apple gets into the automotive business, I think that could change too. But, but um, yeah, no, any, were there any, there was a huge surprise for me here. Was there any big surprise? No, no, I want to hear what, what's the surprise. So that Uber was number 36 and Lyft barely made the top 100. If I'm if I'm Lyft right now, I'm just like, what do we got to (laughs) do? You know, I mean, what 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 is going on? They're basically setting it up for them. I mean, they're making Uber's making so many mistakes. I mean, Lyft really should. I think I think I think it's I think the issue for them is accessibility because when you and I I go into different cities around the world, they Lyft it just isn't in a lot of those cities like Uber is. Well, it shows you the power of momentum, right? For sure. Yeah. So. There you go. Yeah. There you have and it. Next year, right. next year they'll, they'll watch them. Watch them. Next year they'll flip. Yeah. Okay. I, I, There's I another prediction. Be, it's yeah, the prediction there you episode. Go. It's a yeah. prediction. All right. All right. Good. Moving on. Our second story in our quick hits comes to us courtesy of Ad Age. Um, and this one was a really interesting one that I have a take on, but I want to get your take on it, Joe. Here is publishers may have to volunteer to fight against annoying ads. Um, The article opens up in Ad Age by saying, it might be in a publisher's best interest to volunteer for the coalition to fight better um, and more annoying advertisements. 
Late last week, three major trade bodies and coalition members, the four A's, Association of National Advertisers, the ANA, and the Interactive Advertising Bureau, the IAB, penned a letter to the group that proposed guidelines and logistics around how browsers should block annoying ads such as pop-ups, auto-playing video with sound, and ads that quickly flash and change colors. Per the proposal, which could take some two years to implement if adopted, a publisher would see all ads blocked on a page, even if only one of them is deemed annoying. That's a reflection of current limits in ad blocking technology, according to the authors. What did uh, what did you think of this? Because I have an absolutely distinctive take here. Okay, I'm I was really confused by this, so I need your help. I really really <laughs> okay. do. So yeah. let's just take the the four A's and Association of National Advertisers. Let's take the first two. Their yeah. membership are brands, advertisers. Correct. They're the brands, right? Correct. So the, so what they're saying is, they're saying, look, we can't control our own members. So what we're asking for is we want the publishers to volunteer to because we can't control ourselves. That that that's the way that I read that. It's almost like it's like I'm I'm an alcoholic, but um, but I'm going to go into this restaurant restaurant and you serve alcohols, but you have to stop serving alcohol because I have a problem. Yes, is that I'll, what they're let saying? Me, let me change it for you just a little bit. It's a little bit more like this guy named Louis who comes into your shop and says it would be a shame to see what would happen to this place if it. Uh, didn't have fire insurance. I love this place. Maybe you should volunteer to pay a little fire insurance. You know what I'm talking about? That's what we got going on here. I this this thing entertained me to no end this thing which where they're saying basically, "Hey, it's really hard to block ads and and so you have to block all of them." And just to your point, I mean your metaphor is great too which is basically they say, you can't block just one ad. You're going to have to block them all. So we need your help. We, we need your help to volunteer to be better about this whole ad fraud and all this kind of stuff that's going on. Yeah, they want the publishers yeah. of, of sites like AdAge, let's say, to go it, right. back to the marketer and, and, and police the marketer. That's right. Instead of the association working on what I – not to police, but – but as an association um, leadership, I would say, well, let's work with our members to teach them best practices. Let's say things exactly. like maybe content marketing. We can't control them. Or what, yeah, control, exactly. They're just crazy. They're nutty. They're like Joe Pesci. They're just going to – you calling me funny? A clown? What are you, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're just, That's what I thought. But I read it a couple times yeah. and I didn't really get – I'm like, is that what they're really saying? Is that – that's, that's what yeah. they're really saying. And the, and the, the fact that I, what I love that they're saying here is they're saying <clears throat> that the, and there's a guy who's directly quoted who says, you can't just control one ad. You can't do that. The technology isn't there yet. Well, first of all, yeah, it is. The technology is totally there. It's just, and if it's not there for a particular publisher, it could totally be there. You can you can absolutely block a certain kind of ad. What they're reacting to, of course, is the fact that Apple and Google have come out and said, hey, listen, we're going to enable consumers to block all the ads. And so... They're basically they're freaking out, going, "Oh my God, browsers are going to now control access to advertising. We need to do something really quickly here." And it actually goes in there. Somebody made a comment. So it may not have been in this article, but somebody made a great comment. It's like Google is part of the ANA, 
and can you imagine? And, and so is Apple, by the way. So there's, you know, can you imagine the conversations that are going on there where, where they're coming out say the browser is going to control access to ad blocking and the, they're going, um, really? <laughs> what is so the fascinating tension? I got to imagine between those two. Well, it's weird that the article says, um, and even Bob Leides from, from ANA says that the browser has too much power. But, exactly. but the, as opposed the, to what the market, but the marketers, <laughs> the brands are the ones with the money. Right, they they can spend that money however they want to. So don't say that the browser is ultimately the one that's making these decisions. Because no, who's making the decisions? The brow the browser is just letting the individual that's right. make a decision for if they want those ads blocked or not. Yes. So, uh, wow, yeah. how frustrating! Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to yeah. go real well. Yeah, exactly. I can tell. This is a winner. Exactly. This is. It's a, it's a, it'll be. It's going to be fun to watch. Oh my! It's going to be fun to watch. That we can't control one. him. He's just nutty. He's just. <laughs> what is he going to do? Um, that, by the way, is my mafia guy accent for that all of good. you out there. Yeah, that was good. pretty good. All right. It was right. not as good as your Sean Connery, which I absolutely no. Love. You don't have to I unpack right now, but I won't unpack that right now. We'll save that for we'll save that for when we're on our masterclass there tour. There you go. Very good. All right, we're moving on to now to our in depth section of the show where we talk about things that have to do with content marketing that are a little more in depth and unpack some of these stories that we've seen throughout the week. And our first one uh, is a really fun one. It comes to us also courtesy of Ad. Age, um, and it is from the Ad Age podcast Ad Lib. Um, the headline that you should look for, or that you'll click uh, click on when you uh, see it in the show notes, is Neil Vogel's adventure as an accidental publisher. The article that introduces the podcast episode starts out by saying. Since 2014, Neil Vogel has led the transition at About.com, which earlier this year rebranded as DotDash. Under his stewardship, the IAC-owned company has gone from all things to all people approach to a publisher of discrete, focused websites, including Very Well, a health site, The Spruce, a home site, LifeWire, a tech site, The Balance, personal finance, uh, Trip Savvy, a travel site, and ThoughtCo, which is life hacking. Um, the, the, a podcast episode then goes on to talk through their thinking about why they did this and all of this, and I just thought it was fascinating. What did you take? I, I love this because when Neil got involved in this, he, you know, basically for a year and a half, they, they had all this traffic. They had all this these search results at about.com, uh, and they were like, uh, okay, well, let's bring in all the data people. Let's bring in our best SEO people. Let's do what we can to optimize this. And then they realized that they had the wrong business model after a year and a half. So that whole, yeah. so he goes through that in the podcast and how he had to go to Barry Diller and talk about, okay, we have got the wrong model. Here's the right model. And so they went from being all things to all people to they created six very discreet websites uh, around health, home, tech, personal finance, travel, and life hacking. And that uh, journey, if you will, I think anyone that's into content marketing, especially if you're in a large enterprise, and, and you, we, I use this example a lot when I, when I talk to larger enterprises, but when you and I did that workshop in, was in Toronto, we did the workshop. Yeah. Yep, and we had the that. woman from that really large uh, tech company <laughs> who oversaw yeah. the blog. And we asked her, she said, you know, she, she was, wasn't getting the traffic she wanted. She wasn't getting the conversions she wanted with her blog. And then we asked her, well, how many audiences are you targeting at the same time? And her answer was, well, we have 18 different personas that we target on the blog. And you and I said, well, we found your problem. That's, <laughs> exactly. You can't be That's all right. things 
to all people. And this kind of a strategy would work where, and it's funny because they went about.com went, had 18 different verticals that were very broad, broad verticals. And then they, uh, now they have the six very discrete verticals. And they said, basically the whole idea, and he talks about this on the podcast, which is, which is definitely worth listening to. He said, scale is gone, but specialized scale is in. So you can do this. You can go really deep into an area. And they went through uh, where they had, you know, content assets, and they said, "Well, where can we be one of the one of the leading resources in the world?" Yeah, and they believed that they could around those six. So that journey was just fantastic. I have nothing bad to say about this. The, you know, they're on this journey about. I think it took them what about eighteen months to get to this. Exactly, point? that's what he was saying. Yeah, about eighteen months. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing story, really, and it's just to me, it speaks so powerfully of the 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 need to get specific, right, and the opportunity to get specific. I mean, one of the things that I see so often, you know, in talking with marketing folks that want to get into a content marketing strategy is there is a you know, and and I and I I know it's a founded fear because it's you know it's putting your it's putting a lot of investment and a lot of your eggs into one basket, and the more specific that basket. It can be scary. It can be scary about how, you know, really focused you want to be. But I just watch it happen time and time again. The more focused you are, the more niche you get and figure out the right value to that niche audience, the more chance for success you have. It's just, it's the way you stand out. And, um, and I think they, uh, this is the perfect, you know, the perfect sort of representation of that is that getting really specific and, and, and vertical about the way that they did their content brands is just a you know and and then cry, and by the way cross promoting them and and doing all of those things starts to work together as an ecosystem that just really works. But the the one area I'm sure you caught this as well. So he uh, you know Neil Vogel who now has taken over this initiative you know never never came from publishing so didn't know anything right. about That's publishing. That's exactly right. Didn't have any of that baggage and went in and said the, immediately what he realized is that there was this underlying thought and belief with all the writers and editors. Uh, a part of a part of about.com that more content is always better. He said more, yeah, more, more, right. more, more. And he said, why is that? So he, they pushed against that. And what they realized is they had, uh, so they had over a million pages before they did this. They had over a million pages and each one of those pages were updated an average of about three and a half years. So they basically didn't touch them for three years, an yeah. average page. Now they have, 250,000 pages. So they killed 750,000 pages and they update those pages on schedule, sometimes monthly, sometimes every six months, sometimes every year, but on an average of 250 days. So it's just interesting to say something. Basically, so what he said is we have all the assets. We actually don't need any new content. We just have to update the really good stuff that we have present it a little bit differently, get it really focused, and then then add to those areas that we don't have. So he basically used the analogy, you know, we don't need another apple pie recipe. We've got 50 apple pie recipes. Let's just put on the four very best apple pie recipes and then just keep those updated and move exactly. on. And that's, so, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a great story. So I highly, highly recommend going and listening to this. It's only a half uh, hour. This yeah, podcast. About a half hour yeah, it's long. a half hour. It's a half an hour. Well worth it. Um, I so wish there was a transcription of this because it's just it would make a great article too. Um, but um, yeah, go listen to it. It's just it's just really wonderful. 
Um, all right, moving on to our next story here. Um, and this one comes courtesy of Forbes and had a few people send this along to us. Um, so no real hat tip here to anyone in particular, but thank you to all those who sent it along. And you'll know why when you hear the headline, of course, because not sure if you knew this, Joe, content marketing is dead. Um, and yeah. yes, here we go again, folks. Get on the roller coaster because here we are. Content marketing is dead. Long live marketing. I don't think you understand how to do that headline, but all right, I'm just going to move on from that. Um, Anyway, the article opens up by saying, for the past several years, content marketing has been all the rage and has been viewed as a discrete discipline within marketing. With no disrespect to the great folks at the Content Marketing Institute who have done amazing work in helping marketers better understand the value of content, it's time to quit developing content marketing strategies and start developing plans for how content supports marketing strategies. So much there, but okay. Um, the next paragraph says, in a recent study by Serious Decisions, B2B CMOs indicated that two of their biggest challenges in addressing changing buyer behaviors is lack of buyer insights and developing content that satisfies buyers' needs throughout their decision-making process. I'm, I'll just stop there. I, it, it, the article goes on to ostensibly follow the formula for any of you regular listeners of PNR that have heard me rant on this before, basically created odd and weird and mistaken definition for content marketing and then say basically what we're going to do is not content marketing and then talk about all the wonderful things that you want to do, which of course is content marketing and call it something different. What did you think about this thing? I, I mean, I have a take. I, I do have a take on it, but 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 I do have a story actually that I can tell about how I came to really know this article. But I'll, anyway, I'll get your take first. Yeah, I, I'm I'm more than willing to defer to you and, and hear your story. I mean, the the whole for, it lost me at the first paragraph because we've talked about ad nauseum the, the idea that content marketing is. Mar is part of marketing. It's not a separate thing. We we always talked about the fact that when we go into organizations, and if you have, this is how content marketing used to be. It used to be a function that was just basically publications management, and you'd have it down the hall, and they never talked to marketing at all, and it was completely separate. Well, what we've been working for for the past twenty years is to make sure that the they are talking to each other. It is marketing. Yep. These is so critically important. And the first paragraph, the guy said, and that's all we talk about. If anything, you, any article you go to on our site, we'll talk about that. That is so critically important. And the first article says, oh, well, the good folks at CMI say, say that's not true. So <laughs> exactly. I, I got right. no, uh, be, be, basically, I, I have no love for this because there's no research that was done on this. So I'm just going right. to, I'm just going to stop talking. And yes. Well, story. okay, and I'll and I'll and I'll tell you. So, to your first point is, and then I'll tell you the story of how I came to know this and why I think articles like this are harmful. Um, is because when I so if you change two words in the front paragraph of this, it it basically says what it should say, right? So, another, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna read it live, and I'm gonna change those two words. Okay. For the past several years, content marketing has been all the rage and has been viewed as a discrete discipline within marketing. With no disrespect to the great folks at Content Marketing Institute who've done amazing work in helping marketers better understand the value of content, it's time to start developing content marketing strategies that develop how we plan for how content can support the marketing strategy. You yeah. could have written an article about that. Anyway, yeah. my story here, quickly, is... 
This article came to me, I was on an advisory day with a wonderful client in the healthcare space um, who is really struggling to make the business case for her content marketing function. And they've had some limited success. They've done some really interesting things. Um, and they're trying to build a business case to get more investment. And so it's the VP of marketing there. And she's we're sitting and we're talking and we're working through the plans and building a roadmap. And we're doing all this wonderful work. And this article comes out and she gets a buzz on her cell phone from her CFO. And the CFO basically says, hey, why are we spending all this money when content marketing is dead? And he's serious, right? Because he's seen an article in Forbes, which basically says content marketing is dead and here are all the reasons why. He may or may not have read the detail of the article. Probably did. But basically put a nail in and or helped put a nail in the coffin of her effort without even it getting started. And so that's why I'm really troubled by these kind of articles and why they annoy me so much is because for those that are actually trying to do something productive with this, and many may succeed and many may fail, let's just be honest. And But for those who are earnestly trying to put something together, trying to do this in the light of something like this article, which does nothing to add to the conversation, just hurts the effort. And so if it adds to the conversation and it's critical, bring it on. Let's talk about it. Let's have a discussion. But to not do the work, that's where it gets annoying and, and basically come across with a link bait headline that, you know, that all it does is, you know, proceed to give inspiration to some CFO or CEO to sort of put the kibosh on anything innovative that's going to go on in the business is, is, is crazy to me. That's sad to hear that. Yeah. That, it's that a bummer. It was a real bummer. Firsthand. I mean, we, yeah. Uh, that's why we do what we do, but it's it's unfortunate that yeah. So uh, stop writing this kind of stuff. How about <laughs> or, that? Or do the work, or do or you know continue to write it, but do the work. Like to your point, any 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 yeoman's job of going through our content would have would have illustrated why that first and second paragraph just don't make any sense. Um, that we, you know, and 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 how we talk about how content marketing. I mean, remember this when we used to say you and I did this in the very first book we wrote together. We said content marketing is like butter by itself. It probably doesn't taste very good, but it but it makes everything else in marketing taste so much better. It basically integrates. To, we've been saying this since 2008. We've yep. been saying this and, the, and in the your, same. And in the and yeah. I remember in the original master classes, you would take that. And you would talk about content marketing and how if you just had a different – if you looked at it a little bit differently from a strategic standpoint, it would make your pay-per-click better. It would make your advertising right. better. It would make your public relations better. And that's why you said it cannot be separate. Right. <laughs> but yet this is what this guy says. <laughs> exactly. So, Speaking of something whatevs. really fun and interesting, <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> Totes. Yeah, uh, we have a wonderful sponsor. We should yes. talk about for the for this for this episode. Yes, yes, yes. Today's wonderful episode sponsor, our good friends at Snap App, and today's buying committees are diverse. Millennials are already taking their seats among Gen X and baby boomers at the buying table, making navigating the already complicated buying environment even harder thanks to their different preferences. Though this shift might seem minor, it greatly impacts how marketing teams operate, sales teams engage, and how purchase decisions are ultimately made. Now, our good friends at SnapApp and Heinz Marketing recently conducted research to answer the question, how do different generations like to buy? I've been up 
at night many times, Robert, because I like wake up in the middle and I'm like, how do they buy? I don't know <laughs> how they do it. And thankfully, there's this awesome report called The Millennials Are Here, How Generational Differences Impact B2B Buying Committees Today. It actually looks, it, it solves my, I don't have to be up in the middle of the night anymore. Now I know it looks at the differences between the rising millennial buyer, their generation X and baby boomer counterparts, and how B2B marketing and sales strategies can address the gaps between them. You need to go check out this report called The Millennials Are Here at cmi.media slash PNR206, cmi.media slash PNR206 to get this amazing report. If you're looking at any kind of the generational differences between what buyers are doing and you're on the B2B side, you need to download this. And I got to tell you, Robert, I've had fun for the last four weeks just talking about this report. So next week, I'm going to miss it. Yes, so. absolutely. It is, a, it is a wonderful report. Despite the Godfather's hyperbole there, it is a great, uh, it is a great report. And I actually enjoyed very much reading it. It was, um, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, the, the title makes it fun. The content makes it great. So it's actually it's, a very uh, serious report. It's yeah. not like yeah, I'm making fun of it Yeah, because why not? But, sure. <laughs> but it is a really good report. So it is really, Go check really it out. good. And yeah. thank you to Snap App for their continued support. Thank it's you. It's always, always wonderful. Thank you. Um, okay. It is now time for your favorite part of the show, folks. It is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like ah, we're comparing apples and oranges or we're comparing wonderful chocolate and peanut butter. Um, and so. Let's see. I have this old marketing, so I am going first. You go I first. So tag you at this. Tag everyone's shocked. Now all the listeners yes. are shocked right now. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I have a quick rave. Um, actually, I'm going to do. I'm going to do the, the my commentary first um, because it's it's both both are quick. So this week, and um, by the way, a huge hat tip here to uh, a couple of people sent this over, but Alex Chambers. Um, hi, Alex, uh, who has sent over stuff in the past. Uh, on Twitter, he is at AlexNYC, proud of that New York City affiliation. So hi, Alex. Um, and so he sent this over, and we had a little bit of a discussion about it on Twitter, very short little discussion, and I thought it was interesting. Basically, this is a, the, what we'll link to in the show notes is from TechCrunch.com. And the article, although a number of publications... Uh, um, uh, well, basically reported this, which is a press release, really, from Nielsen. Um, Nielsen will now measure TV audiences on Netflix, is the headline. And the article in the press release that accompanies this now basically says Netflix, um, which is looking to try and stay... Well, the, the article doesn't say it's looking to stay relevant, but I'll just put that in their mouth that they're trying to stay relevant in this world, um, is now hoping to make the viewership numbers for shows on Netflix... A thing. So, for those of you who don't know, Netflix does not share their viewing numbers. That does not share. So, it, it has put a bit of a weird kibosh in Hollywood because normally, when you're going to go in and negotiate a director's deal or an actor's deal, like Kevin Spacey's deal for House of Cards, you would be able to point to ratings and go, "This is why you should pay Kevin Spacey a lot of money." Well, Netflix doesn't release any of that data, so you really don't have any idea whether a show is popular or not. And so there have been lots of different estimations around this and people trying to figure it out by looking at social media and stuff like that. Nielsen in its ever, I mean, and I know, I totally understand why Nielsen is trying to do this, is launching what they're calling their video, their streaming video on demand measurement services, which is going to look at and estimate based on their existing TV panels, what people are actually watching. 
and try to estimate the ratings for um, the for these for these shows. There is so much wrong with this that just I you know it'll it would take me an, an hour to go through all the, the challenges I think that this has. And again, I totally get why Nielsen is doing this, but one of the things that I think we really have to start thinking about is the different way that we're going to measure success of media going forward, because this isn't just some incremental thing that can can get sorted here, because they talk about one of the challenges, of course, is different devices. When you're watching it on a tablet, or are you watching it on that thing that hangs on your wall? Are you watching it on a computer? They're not measuring any of that. They're measuring whether or not you actually saw the show or not. The other thing is, is that ratings and share of television has always been inextricably linked to time. In other words, when did you watch it? Because the share of audience and the ratings has everything to do with that particular point in time. So if I binge watch, I'm basically, it's a number of downloads or it's a number of streams, but it has nothing to do with time because if everybody binge watched in one week, well, then the ratings for the next week and the next week and the next week are probably horrific because nobody needs to watch it. They've all watched it already. So there's a fundamental need to reshift the way that we're looking at audience measurement. We have started to look at that from the brand side, as you've heard me go on about probably ad nauseum at this point. And we've started to look at that as part of our consulting and education. It'll be a big part of our masterclass this year of how brands measure audiences but it's not having in media it's not happening really to any innovative way in media measurement yet and so i just think it's a really interesting thing to keep and paying attention to uh, not that i have you know one cuz i totally get why nielsen is doing this and i i applaud them for trying but just you know go in with your eyes wide open you should get that. a okay. tattoo of nielsen somewhere <laughs> yeah, i'm sure they love me <laughs> <laughs> So my rave, um, which I just have to rave about um, this week, is actually an ad. Um, and the, what we're linked right to the Ad Week article that speaks to the ad. It's from Burger King. Have, I, have you seen this ad? About I'm, their, not, their, I'm, I'm looking at it now, but I've not played the ad yet. No. It's, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, it, it, in one of those ways that feel-good advertising that sort of you know a, takes an attempt to talk about a social issue that's really important – and how they make it funny and entertaining, but also serious about a cause. They, I just think they struck such the right balance with this ad. And you know, and it's not often we talk about advertising as a you know as a as a medium here as a as a method of storytelling. But truly, this is just a wonderful. I just thought it was a wonderful piece of creative, and I wanted to rave about it and have everybody go look at it because the balance that they strike here between making this funny. And making this serious about what is a very serious issue of childhood bullying is just, I think, remarkable. So I just wanted to call it out because I just think it's, I just think it's wonderful. All right, so I'll have to all watch it. It's, uh, I'm just looking at pictures of it. So I, yeah, it's a minute. It's a minute long. I mean, you know, it'll take you a minute to go watch it, but it's just wonderful. I and are they putting a lot of media behind it? Are they really? I have not seen it on mainstream on the television. Yeah. yeah, I have not seen it anywhere other than than YouTube. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know who's okay. you know where where they're going to run it, but yeah, it's 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 just a wonderful piece. Oh, very good. And be, by being on Ad Week, I found out that the the Winter Olympics are coming up. Oh my goodness! So no, I mean, yeah. it's everywhere. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> 
Hello. Yeah. I mean, come Welcome on. Welcome to the Winter yeah, Olympics. Yeah. yeah. Is, it, is that still a thing? The, are the Olympics still a thing? Yeah. I mean, it's a okay. Sean White right. is going to be at, having a snowboard, and he's at the, the Winter Olympics. So, okay. Because it's, it's on the top, the Olympics it's on are the still, side, and it's on the bottom. You heard it here first, folks. The Olympics are still a thing. They're still a thing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, God, good thing that we're available for our listeners and can talk about these important social issues that is correct all right so mine is a rave uh i listen to the james altisher show podcast do you ever listen to i have listened to it before i am not okay. a regular okay listener. that's fine i i listen to uh, when i go running i i've got a couple podcasts that i listen to but the the james altisher show is, is one of them i generally run for about an hour and his episodes take about an hour so yeah, it works pretty well so there you go um, today, I listened to episode 267, where James interviewed Mike Posner. And if you don't know Mike, he was the creator and singer behind, uh, formerly, that one-hit wonder called Cooler Than Me. I mean, I'm sure if you could just, it'll, it'll go in your head for a while, you'll get it. Uh, so the song was called Cooler Than Me. But today, he's a very successful writer of songs, poetry, and is back on the charts with some new hits. Now, first of all, it's a great interview uh, worth listening for anyone interested in the creative process. But what I really loved was a couple things. First of all, he talked about updating his old songs, and he also talked about his influencer distribution model a bit, and I'll talk about both of them. So Cooler Than Me, which became a Billboard number one song, was two years old when it was released. And his label, when launching his new record, wanted to release Cooler Than Me, and Mike didn't want to release it because he said, everyone has already heard it. I released it two years ago. Like, who wants to hear it again? And the label said, Mike, nobody has heard it. Just your core audience, but nobody, like the, the larger audience opportunity out there, nobody's heard that. So they went and updated the song and then re-released it, and it went to number one. And when I heard this, I, I thought about, at CMI, our best performing content, like our strategic documents, or our prediction posts are just updated posts every year for the most part. It's not like really new content. And it's the same thing we just talked about in the about.com podcast. They, they really just focus, okay, what's our really good performing content? And let's keep that updated all the time. So it's a little bit different, but I think it's the same strategy or mentality that say, hey, we've got a really good piece of content here. Can we update that piece of content and go out with that instead of creating something brand new and and that's what they did so something to think about there and the second thing was mike talked about what i would call an influencer strategy he would never use those terms but you know we've talked about many times about this on the show but mike inserts many featured artists into all his mixtapes and songs and then he appears on all their mixtapes and songs as you know featured so i mean if you i know you're a big justin bieber fan robert so when you see like a justin bieber song it's like justin bieber featuring big sean this that you know featuring eight other people yeah and so it's an influence i would call that an influencer straight it's very rampant in the music industry and of course it's a real model to that they use to reach new groups of fans so if you like you know, if you if you're a Big Sean fan, but you're not a Justin Bieber fan, maybe you would listen to that because Big Sean was featured in it, and on and on, and now you become a fan of that Justin Bieber song. Like I know you right. have a lot of his songs on your iTunes playlist. <laughs> now I realize that many companies hire and leverage individual influencers like this, like when we go to the corporate side of this. But I don't think enough companies leverage other companies in their work. And that's what I thought of when I was listening to this podcast. So if you think about oh, joint fantastic webinars, idea, yeah. Yeah, j- webinars, white papers, blog posts, consortium teams, 
just a very simple and smart strategy that I think more companies should employ. So if you are, you know, I've, I've been involved in even back in my days in early Penton, where we would talk about consortiums, where if we could get four to six companies that really believed in something that was going on in the industry, they would all come together and put money behind it, and we would create a content initiative. But it doesn't have to be a separate thing. So if you're doing a webinar program, well, it's, I mean, our advertiser, our sponsor today, SnapApp, went out and worked with Heinz Marketing. You know, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about that I don't think is done enough. So that's what I kind of got off of this. So if you get a chance, this was James, James Altisher's episode number 267 featuring Mike Posner. And it is my rave of the week. That is a great one. I love that. I love the idea. I mean, we too often, you know, this was... Um you know, didn't this was basically the idea that uh, that um, um, Andrew Davis talks about in brandscaping, right? You know, a little bit, yes. You know, which is this absolutely. idea of, he, he, of there's a really good example of uh, of Mountain Dew. Uh, doing this with different um, like stunt stunt artists and things like that, and they did a lot of really good. I mean, he he has a lot of examples in brandscaping, but that's it. That, yeah. and, and it's funny, since that book came out, I there's not a lot of people that do this. They do a yeah. lot of individual influencers, but they don't say, oh, well, shoot, there's three other companies in this industry that we could partner with, and we're just not doing it for right. whatever who reason. Aren't our, who aren't necessarily our competitors, That's right. yeah. but but would absolutely be attracting the same audience as we, you know, I, I use the example all the time where it's, um, you know, if you're trying to get to small business owners, right? So two great partners in this might be Intuit and HubSpot. You know, those would be two 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 companies that are looking for the same audience, but from two different, very different perspectives, who could partner together on content. That's that's a great. I mean, you see this at events all the time, where you see somebody's doing some educational session or some post party, and it's like, wow, this is going to be a big thing. This is going to cost a lot of money. Let's get four or five or six of our non competitive partners together. So it's it happens a lot in events, but it doesn't happen on on blog posts and research projects and webinars and white papers like it probably should. So yeah. Good one. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Nice. Fantastic. So you got a, right. you got a, this old marketing this week? I do have a, this old marketing and this is a really fun one. Um, before I start a huge, huge, um, save my bacon kind of hat tip, um, to, uh, our friend of the friend, certainly a friend of the show, Bethany Johnson. Hi, Bethany. Um, who sent this over just a fantastic, wonderful example of this old marketing, which I'll get to in just a second. She, who of course has the Twitter handle that shall not be named, um, because it's just, you know, we, well, we've had issues with so, it, but flibberty gibbet. Um, yes, exactly. 47. So, there you go. Yeah. Um, so hi, Bethany. Thank you. Hi, Bethany. Bethany. Um, so do you know Joel Salatin, the farmer? No, I don't. Do you know no. this story? I this don't think story, I do. No. This story, wait till you hear this story, because you haven't heard this yet. No. Um, this is new. Um, and it's a great, great story. I, I When I read this and heard this from Bethany, it was like, wow, this is not only a great example of this old marketing. This, if you were to ever do another edition of content inc this is the content inc oh, this I is like wait. your quintessential content inc example All so right. joel salatin is a farmer 
um, and in the, in Virginia, in the Shenandoah Valley. Um, so his story is 1961. Um, there's a couple who bought a Virginia farm, and they began working it like every other farmer does, and they're trying to earn a living and raise a family and do all the things that farmers do. And they have a son, and his name is Joel. And he grows up watching them struggle. They really, really struggled at this farm. Like, again, many farms do. They started to get into more of the green, organic, humane practices with animals um, and really focus on this. And the margins on the farms were just really low. And they were trying to make sure that they had a viable business. So the son, Joel, ends up taking over the farm um, from his parents, and he wants to run it even more profitably. He wants to like take the farm to the, to the next level. And so 25 years later, he's running this farm, and he basically started to say, there's a new way to market what we're doing here on this farm. So he took to answering every question that you could ever have about viable green ways of operating a farm. And he started writing books and he started lecturing and he started creating content and all of these articles that would ask and basically answer and tell all of the stories about sustainable farming and green farming and you know kindness to animals, chemical-free approaches, all of these things and how it's not only better for consumers, it's better for the farmer too. And he started to actually started to teach basically how other farmers could do this, how you could actually create your own little farming enterprise and do it sustainably and green with no chemicals and all that. Ten books later, he's written ten books. He's got to be one of the most famous farmers in the world. He didn't, by the way, it's his whole brand, he's got a content brand. He's basically better known now for his content in all of his books than he is for even the uh, Polyface Farms, which are his farms in Virginia that continue to succeed in this day. He is basically the Gary Vaynerchuk of sustainable farming. And he's got tours of his farm now that sell out. So he's created a whole experience about touring his farm that sell out. He charges money for it. He's published his 10th book in 2016. He's already working on book number 11. He has recipes of the week competitions for all of his fans online to contribute user-generated content that recirculates across his websites and all his online stuff. And basically, he has created an entire media brand that drives what he's doing from a sustainable farming and chemical-free farming perspective and become a huge success while doing it. He's become an integrated media platform that also, by the way, happens to have a farm. It's just a fantastic story. That's wonderful. I can't believe yeah. I haven't heard of that before. I'm obviously not doing my research. That's yeah, why 10 books. Thank, 10 books. Thank goodness Bethany's out there to, to yeah. help us and let us know. 10 books. Starting in, 19, yeah, starting in 1996. So he's basically written you know, um, you know, a book every couple of years. Every years. Jeez, unbelievable! Yeah. yeah, and and they're you know they're bestsellers in many cases. They're in some cases they're they're um, on the required reading list for education institutions, um, you know, and they're best-selling books in some cases. So he's created this whole media brand. It's just it's just a wonderful, wonderful. What, what is it? I'm sorry. Um, what what is the? Is there a media brand? Is there a content brand? around it or is it it's just him. his farm it's it's it's, it's his it's well it's like two things right one is him as the celebrity sort of guy joel salatin is his name s-a-l-a-t-i-n um and then polyface farms is his farms 
Very yeah. good. Excellent example. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Right in a wonderful example of content taking. Yep. So what do you got going on this week, sir? I am prepping. I am I am in full prep mode because starting Sunday, I am on the road for 17 straight days. Oh um, my goodness. And that's horrible. much of that with you. Um, well, that is start really horrible. <laughs> <laughs> It just went from bad to worse. Yeah. Oh, so I start God. yeah, I start in Lansing, Michigan of all places, and then I go to Providence, Rhode Island. Then I end up in Boston where we start our master class tour, and then we go to New York and DC, and then I can come home for a weekend. You? Uh I'm actually in uh, Des Moines. Beautiful Des Moines this week oh, Des uh yes yeah, so there's a there's a prs um, as a prsa event that i'm speaking at and also a student okay. uh student event that i'll be at so i'm i'm double dipping there and uh and just a really quick trip into into des moines but uh that'll be there's no direct flights from cleveland to des moines just <laughs> there's so no know. direct i don't know if anybody wanted to know yeah right but that's not a thing it's that yeah. uh, i actually have to Des Moines Airport, through. not one of my favorite places, I got to be honest. Des Moines Airport is not What is your... Favorite. Okay, we'll leave on this. What's your favorite okay. airport? Favorite my airport. favorite airport? Yeah. Well, my favorite airport is a weird one. It's Sacramento, actually, um, which I don't get to very often, and nobody gets to very often. It's kind of the, one of the reasons it's one of my favorite airports. But it's... If, as a part of... As far as amenities go, it's probably, you know, in terms of the great wireless and great restaurants and food and just comfort and be able to sit. That's probably my, my favorite. I would say my favorite busy airport is probably Minneapolis, Minneapolis, St. Paul. That is, is a good is, one. Is, Minneapolis yeah. is, is a good one. My, yeah, my favorite airport is, uh, and it's really growing on me is, uh, Raleigh Durham. RDU. Uh, Raleigh Durham's a good one. Yeah. RDU it's, is a good, is it, a good airport. It's, it's relative, relatively new. Um, it's, it's large for being Raleigh Durham and there's, it's just easy in, easy out. No yeah. issues, lots of choices for food and Wi-Fi is great. And it's just, it's, it doesn't feel like you're being stifled. Like when you're at LaGuardia. No. Like, I feel like the world is <laughs> yeah. coming in on me when I'm sitting in LaGuardia. Yeah. I'm well, like, LaGuardia is basically Moss Eisley Station, right? I mean, it's where that, it's the hub of villainy oh and scum. Oh my gosh, that's so that true. Yeah. That is so true. Yeah. I've seen Greedo there, by the way. <laughs> exactly. You have to watch your back. Exactly. Joe shot first. There you go. Hashtag. <laughs> All, right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode number 206, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? What are you doing? You haven't done that yet. And if you haven't, you know, if you haven't subscribed yet, you're probably not gonna. So don't actually subscribe. Maybe yeah. that'll get you to yeah. subscribe. Um, and let us know, won't you? Because we'd love to hashtag you up on This Old Marketing. You can hashtag us up on hashtag This Old Marketing. Story ideas, we need them, we love them. This old marketing examples, we need them, we love them. Hashtag us up there as well. Send them over. Or if you like to email, you like that old technology of email, you can send us an email at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show as we go to publish on Monday night. And of course, in all their replete technicolor glory at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.